Welcome to Last Lamb Standing with the Lamb Sisters, Drew and Meg. Each week, Meg covers a topic that is crazy, spooky, goosebump-inducing, or just plain old WTF, while Drew covers subjects that relate in some tenuous nature but is completely real, explained, and sometimes downright scientific. So grab your safety blankets and microscopes and join us on our strangely empirical quest. Good evening. Hello. We're recording kind of late tonight. I mean, it's almost seven o'clock. Oh my gosh. It's almost your bedtime. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had dinner yet either. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Got my hair done today. So, you know. Yeah, it looks real pretty. Pretty. It smells pretty too. I know. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We um are getting work done on our house. So it's kind of weird because now I'm at home and, uh, and so I have all these men walking around the house all day. So I can't, I can't like open up my curtains and cause then I'll feel like they'll just be watching me. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like kind of trapped in my house, <laughs> but it's all good. They're very nice and, um, and it's going to look good. So awesome. it is exciting. Okay. So, uh, today I'm going to be talking about the Bell Witch, which I've been, which which I have been looking forward to doing <laughs> for a long time. What are you talking about? So originally, like up until about eight o'clock last night, I was going to be talking about bells and the science of sound. Okay, and some interesting things, but it is getting a bit difficult. Study the the bell part was getting difficult to understand, and I wanted to be able to understand it and. So I kind of gave up on that, okay. but I found Oak Ridge, which is the secret city in Tennessee built for the Manhattan Project. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do you have a tip? You want to do your tidbit first? You want me to do mine? Uh, I can do mine. So last episode, no, I don't know. Two episodes ago. Two I episodes think. ago. Black so, holes. Yeah. Yes. With, cause I did black eyed kids. Yes. So we talked about. Black holes. The week after that, it was announced in the news that astronomers had observed a star swallowing a planet for the first time ever. Oh my gosh. So you remember we had talked about how as a star is about to die, it expands yeah. um, because it's losing its gas. Uh-huh. And um, so this star that they observed was a million times bigger than it was supposed to be. Basically, somebody saw a what? star that was way brighter in the sky than it used to be. And so they started... <sighs> Looking at it, the star billowed out to a million times its original size and looked a hundred times brighter. So they started looking at it and basically they saw it consume a planet nearby. What? So basically it got so big, drew the planet in, ate it up. Oh my God. <laughs> Weird. As part of its dying and process. And they like witnessed that. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, also, really weird side note that I was going to talk about, but then I decided not to talk about it. But I was going through my Google Photos the other day trying to just delete BS because my storage is up. Mm-hmm. And I came across, and I don't know if I ever told you about it, but there was like, 
I can't remember what day it was. I want to say it was in 2021. I'd gotten up early and it was like, like 550 ish when I first I went outside and I was like, I don't know what I would be doing outside. It was dark. Um, and I was like, I wonder if that was the time when I was doing like spells and crystals and stuff <laughs> that I <laughs> wake up early and do spells no like i had done a spell the previous night with like these crystals or with the moon water oh maybe i went to get my moon water (laughs) what are you talking about anyway it's dark outside er early morning and i look up in the sky and there's this bright bright big light in the sky like and i say big i mean it's big in comparison to any stars that i've ever seen in this city Mm -hmm. right And so I was like, what is that? And then it looked like it was like kind of like hovering, like kind of moving. So I started like filming it and I have a couple of different things. I was freaking out and I went inside and and I woke John up and I was like, there's a UFO outside. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, just come see it. And he was not happy. Um, But I have a video and like, So in the video, I zoom in on it and it's like, it's a, it's a very, very bright ball of light. And you can tell like where it is in comparison to like the, the electricity lines, like the phone lines or whatever in the, in the alley that I'm filming over it. And it, within a 30 second video, it's like right on top of the top line. And then it moves up like significantly, like an inch within my video screen, mm-hmm. an inch, which would be a lot in the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. So within 30 seconds. And so I was like, what is this? Like, I was just convinced that it's not normal. Like it's not a star. Like there's no way. Cause it's not going to be moving that fast. And when right. I first started, so like the videos span from five fifty to like six Oh two or something like that. And when I first started uh, videoing it, it was below the bottom phone mm-hmm. line or electricity line, whatever. And then it was like, ended up like way above it. And I was like, nothing moves that fast in the sky. Like before your eyes, it was, it was weird. It looked like it was kind of going up and down. Like it looked like it was hovering, like kind of going up mm-hmm. and down. And so like John went to work and he was like, told his friends about it. It was all laughing at me. Like she thought <laughs> she saw a UFO and they're like, Oh, it's just a star. And he comes home. And he's like, it's just a star. I was like, okay, whatever. I don't believe that, but whatever. So then I just forgot about it, but I came across the videos the other day and I was like, there's no way that this is a star. Like I'm convinced that it's something different. So it would look like it was over the East, like New Orleans East. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I did find out recently that um, NOPD does have drones and it's just not a drone. Like, it would be, I mean, really high up in the sky if okay. it was drone. Hmm. I'll show you the video when we're done. And I guess I'll post it. I'll post the video sure. at some point, guys. Because <laughs> I know you care. <laughs> um, of course we care. So maybe it was a, a star dying and eating a planet. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're back to it being a star. Just Right. Eating something, so therefore it went fast. Right. (laughs) Starving. I got to get to that planet immediately. Uh, But no, this year, because it got a hundred times brighter, that's what made me think of it. Mm -hmm. Because it was really freaking bright. Okay. 
My tidbit today is it comes from this book called Real Monsters, Gruesome Critters, and Beasts from the Dark Side by Brad Steiger. And he is um, known for his paranormal uh, books. He's written a bunch of them. But anyway, this is a little flying humanoid story. Uh, It is Friday, January 16th, 2004 in Guadalupe, Mexico. And Officer Leonardo Simaniego, that's how I'm going to say it, um, was doing his rounds in Colonia Valles de la Sala. And all of a sudden, this large black object like jumped from a tree and into the road in front of his car. And he was like, what is this thing? And he puts on his high beams and he said it was a woman and she was floating in the air. And she had big black eyes with no eyelids and she didn't like the light in her face. So she like pulled her cape around to shield her face. And then she got real mad and she like lunged at his car and jumped on the hood and started trying to break through the windshield to get to him. And he's freaking out and he puts the car in reverse and he's reversing down the street and he's calling for backup And he gets to the end of the street and he has nowhere to go. And he's like shutting his eyes because he said her face was so horrible. He couldn't look at it. And he opens it again. He opens his eyes again and sees her face and just faints because he's just so terrified. He faints. However many minutes go by, he is woken up by first responders, like his backup in the ambulance that were called. They, they hadn't seen anything, but he recounted his story um, and said that she had real dark brown skin too. So a couple days later, two more officers came to his police station or whatever, and they admitted that they had seen the same creature like three days before, but they were afraid to report it because they would be embarrassed or people would make fun of them. And then after that came out, um, multiple citizens in the area uh, had reports of seeing the same thing. So a woman with black eyes, a dark brown skin, big black eyes with no eyelids floating in the air with a cape on. With a cape. Yep. It's a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So that's my tidbit. That's it. That's That's it. That's all to the story. No other sightings since then. Do we know? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like this thing is full of a lot of just little, um, Little tidbits. Little tidbits. Little stories. It's a tidbit tidbit book. Yeah, I read one earlier. Wait, she jumped into the street? She She fell fell from from a tree. Well, I don't know if she fell, but she like... Came out of a tree. Came out of a tree. It seemed like she leapt down, but like not to the ground, but was hovering several feet above the ground. Mm. Yeah. And her face was so terrifying. Okay. Buckle up, Buttercup, because this one is going to be a bumper ride. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'll try to get through it pretty um, efficiently, but it's a lot of stuff. So I'm talking about the Bell Witch, which, Bell Witch, which, I keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about the Bell Witch from Robertson (laughs) County, Tennessee, This happened in the early 1800s. So I read another book. I did not read the whole thing, but 
It's called An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch by M.V. Ingram. And it was written in the late 1800s. And it's based on the journal that of the youngest son of the family that this happened to. And his name is Richard Williams Bell. Youngest son. So, so in the 1800s, this, this, youngest son. Yeah, this incident okay. happened to a family. And they had like six or seven kids or whatever. Mm. And he was the youngest son. Um, and he was the only one that wrote down who authenticated it. So this for MV Ingram is, is he was a reporter and he had reached out to uh, Richard Williams Bell's son to ask for his journal because he wanted to cover it. But the son was like, no, he didn't agree to it because there were still family members alive. But once the last family member of that it happened to died, then he reached back out to him and said, okay. I'm so when was to... the book written? The book was written in the late 1800s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It doesn't have, it had no copyright. It had no nothing, no dates. The only mm -hmm. reason why I'm saying that is because the communication between um, the son of this man and the author happened in 1840. Oh, crap. Oh, maybe it was the 1860s. 1840, I can't, I can't remember. Um, but anyway. Okay. 1818. Four boys. So this is the, the Bell family. The dad is John. The mom is Lucy. And they have a bunch of kids. So Richard Williams, which is the youngest one. He, sometimes he goes by Richard. Sometimes he goes by William. So it's a little bit confusing. Betsy, Joel, uh, there's some other ones, <laughs> but that's okay. The, the parents probably couldn't yeah. remember their name. Do you? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was trying to call the dog the other day and I went through both my kids' names before I got to the dog. So in, in their house, basically the parents' room was downstairs. And at this point, the two oldest kids were already uh, out of the house. And so, and then Betsy was the only girl left and she had her own room upstairs. And then the rest of the four boys, um, so four, five, six, seven. So yeah, so there's seven kids. So the four boys shared the other room that was upstairs. So this incident started in 1818. The boys' room, they started hearing what sounded like rats chewing on the bedposts. And they were like, where is this coming from? And so they would get up and like light a candle. But as soon as the candle was lit, the sound would stop. And then they would get back in bed and the sound started again. And then they'd light, get up and light the candle and the sound would stop. And then it started moving rooms and it moved to Betsy's room. And then she would get up and look for it and it would stop there. And then it would move down to the parents' room and then they would get up. So then like the whole house is up and trying to find out where this noise is coming from. There are like no holes anywhere. They can't find where rats would get in. There's no chew marks or anything anywhere. Um, so that started happening like every night. So after a while, the noises would be added to like what sounded like a, a dog scratching on the floor. Um, and it would be way too loud to be a rat. And they would like try to tear up the whole house trying to find the source of the noise. And then they sounded like sometimes it would be like chains dragging across the floor. Mm -hmm. And so all this was happening, like as soon as you would get up, and turn a turn turn a light on turn a candle on <laughs> the noises would stop and so it was like basically taunting them trying to keep them awake all night and then after a while 
they would be laying in bed and then something would grab the covers off of them. Oh God. And that kept happening and every night to all of them. And then, but it's same thing. It was like, he said it was mostly active between like one and three in the morning. And then it started sounding like somebody smacking their lips and like gulping and like sounds of choking. And so they were like, just baffled. They had no idea what was going on. Their bed covers were being torn off. And then like, after a while, it started tipping over chairs. Do we know how long they were in the house before this started? Yeah, so they moved in. T- they moved in 1804. There, oh. so they've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. It seemed to target Betsy more than anyone, for whatever reason. But um, they would hear like heavy stones, what sounds like heavy stones falling on the floor, chains dragging across the floor. They so and it would just keep them up all night. Like it wouldn't let them sleep, and so they were just trying to like deal with it. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't want anybody to know. And they would just like nap whenever they could during the day, which, you know, back in the early 1800s, they ran a really big farm. And so it's mm. like, I mean, you know, that's a lot of work. <laughs> and then it started pulling their hair. And Richard said one night he had just fallen asleep and he, he felt his hair starting to like twist up and then it yanked it real hard, like so hard. He felt like the top of his head was coming off. And he screamed, his brother Joel screamed really loud. And then Betsy from the other room screamed. And and then from that night on, it would mess with Betsy's hair, pulling her hair all the time. But that frightened the family so much that they just, the parents started staying up all night. And then the father, John Bell, he started having these strange afflictions where like his tongue would go stiff. And he said it felt like a stick was like wedged in his mouth from cheek to cheek and he couldn't move his tongue and he couldn't eat. Cause anytime he put food in his mouth, it would just like spew right back out mm-hmm. and his face would have like convulsions. And sometimes they lasted for like a couple of weeks. Like sometimes they were like days, sometimes it was just hours. They find, so they went through like a whole year of this happening. Jeez. Before they finally, he finally reached out to his friend, James Johnson, who was like, he wasn't a preacher, but he was a very religious man and held, you know, prayer meetings and stuff like that. And so he reached out to James and his wife to come and spend the night to see if they could figure something out and help them. Mm -hmm. So they agreed and they came and spent the night. And as soon as everyone was in bed and all the lights were extinguished, the ghost began to put on the performance. And pulled the the covers off of uh, Mr. Johnson and he like was shot up in bed and he spoke to it and he said, in the name of the Lord, what or who are you? What do you want and why are you here? And that just, that stopped everything for a little while. But then, so everybody got settled down, but then it came back and it was like really a lot more racket after that. And then, so he, you know, made it through the night and he's like, I have no idea what this is, but I, I am pretty sure that it's intelligent because he realized that it understood him when he was speaking to Mm -hmm. it. So because it was targeting Betsy so much, they were like, well, maybe let's just try sending her away. So she would go and stay the night at friends' houses. But when that happened, things would happen at their house. Oh no. But also still happen at the Bell's house. What? Yes. Did her friends experience it too? Yes. Oh, 
trust me this gets this is oh my god this is just the beginning <laughs> okay so then they decide okay well since it seems to be intelligent we'll start asking it questions and so just like the battersea poltergeist yeah. it would reply and knock so they would ask it number questions so like how many people are in the room and it would reply and knock or so like how many horses are in the barn and it would reply and every time it was right um, and then they started seeing things thrown, like they would see lights moving across the field at night. And then like, sometimes when they were walking in the field, like sticks or stones would just like be thrown at them, mm -hmm. like from nowhere because they're out in the middle of the field and there's nothing around, but they would just like mm -hmm. be thrown at them during the day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the evening, um, during the day, the, one of their, uh, slaves, uh, would walk to one of the neighboring uh, houses where his wife worked. And he said that he would see a sometimes no headed, sometimes three headed giant black dog that would go in the road in front of him and then disappear when he got to the house. Yeah. Okay. So then it started slapping people in the face. <laughs> Especially like if you tried to resist it, pulling the covers off of you, it would like slap, slap you in the face and like you could hear it. It would slap, slap you like so hard that other people could hear the slap and then you could see like the red marks on your face. Jeez. Oh, I completely forgot to say. So after uh, James Johnson came over and he spent the night and he determined that I was intelligent, he encouraged them. He's like, don't keep this a secret. Tell the community invite people over to investigate and see what what can come of it. So after that, they opened up their house to literally anyone and everyone that wanted to come and see a performance, I guess. I don't even know <laughs> a, a specter. Um, and so people would come like over the course of this happening, people would come like travel hundreds of miles to come and see this. Mm -hmm. So but in the meantime, it's like the community, they they all were very supportive of the family because they were a really like well-known family and they were very good people and they were like nobody had any problems with them at all yeah and so the community was really supportive of this and and like some people would come and stay up all night so that they could sleep and you know try to keep the attention of the right the ghost if you or but if witch. you just kept a candle lit by your bed would it do stuff still i don't know well so this is just, you know, that's a good question. They didn't try, they didn't say that they tried that at the beginning because it, I mean, it gets way worse than this. Maybe so, that was just at the beginning that it stopped with the candle. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Because after that, it was like, whatever. Now that they have people coming in, everybody is, keeps asking it questions, like trying to get it to see if it could speak something. And so... Uh, asking him where he came from, where, you know, who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? And so it started to begin to vocalize and it, it started in low whistles and then it gradually progressed into like whispering noises, like, but like unintelligible words. And then to very low whispers of words that you kindly could uh, kindly kind of could understand. And then into a full voice, like, and from then on out, she was a talker. Why would they do that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> one one night, she finally answered the question of who are you and why you're here. Her reply was, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. 
from then on, so after that, she knew everything. She knew everything about everyone at all times. She could see what anyone was doing at any given time. And like, she'll, if you ask them, like, like, for instance, one time she's, uh, one of them was like, oh, our son was on a trip. I don't know if he's back yet. And she's like, hold on, let me go see. And she goes and she comes back. She's like, yeah, he's at the table reading a newspaper and his wife is cooking dinner or whatever it is. She knew everyone's secrets. And so a lot of people thought that she was like a spirit that had come to ready them for the second advent. Mm -hmm. And so then people started like behaving really well. (laughs) Like people stopped swearing, they stopped drinking because she would tattle on everyone. So like if there was somebody doing something wrong, she would get like within an hour would go and tattle on them and tell somebody that they were doing something wrong. So now that she can talk and have conversations or if she's, is she being nicer? So she, for some reason, just hated Betsy and she hated John. She loved Lucy, the mom. She was very nice to Lucy and she did whatever Lucy asked her to do, but she still taunted. She still taunted all of them. She still kept them up at night. She still did Mm. things, but it was like weird, but she also really liked to play jokes on them. So... (laughs) So bizarre. Horrible. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. So one is, this is like, okay, this isn't a joke, but, um, so John Jr. was about to go on a trip to say they had moved from North Carolina. So he was about to go back to their own, their old estate in North Carolina because they were selling it or wrapping up some things. And he was supposed to, um, to go and manage that. And so she said, you shouldn't go because you're going to see a lot of troubles in your trip. And, uh, you're, they're not ready to wrap up the estate and you're going to come back empty handed. And there's a really pretty young, wealthy woman that's coming into town from Virginia soon. And if you stayed, you would meet her and marry her. And so he's like, ha, funny, whatever does not take heed. So he leaves and he's gone for six months. He comes back empty handed, just like she predicted and was like, yep, it, like literally everything that she said would happen happened after like a couple weeks after he left a, a pretty wealthy woman, uh, girl from Virginia came to town to stay with her cousin. And, but then she ended up leaving before the son came back. So he never met her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Did she follow him there. She could. Mm. So apparently she would be able to, so like they had the family, they had family still in North Carolina and like, she would be able to go report back. Like they, she would just be like, I'm going to go see what they're doing and go see what they're doing and see how the state of things are and then report back. And then, you know, they would write letters to each other. And so then they would like verify, Very like, fun. was this thing, was this happening? Yes, it happened. There was one time. So she was also really religious like she really liked, okay. So James Johnson, I told you how he was very religious. Mm-hmm. She called him old sugar mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and she really liked listening to him pray. And she would go to, she would go to church every Sunday and she could sit, she could literally recite the Bible word for word. And she could sit down and have theological conversations with anyone who wanted to have them. And one day, one Sunday, she, there was a, she would go to church. How she would go? 
she would not, I mean, she would be there. So she, there was a Protestant church and maybe in a Baptist church. And one Sunday they had church at the exact same time that both the preachers did their sermons at the exact same time. And then after church, everybody was gathering at the Bell's house and both of the preachers were there. She literally recited and she could imitate people's voices. She literally recited both of their sermons word for word in their voices. And the preachers were like, yep, that is it. Yes. Is she, cause she's not manifesting, right? So she, mm. this is just voice coming mm-hmm. from nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. Moving on. <laughs> so one day she claimed, I'm the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby and the grave has been disturbed. My bones disinter- disinterred and scattered. And one of my teeth was lost under this house. I'm here looking for that tooth. And so then they were all like, oh, crap, because three or four years earlier, they were digging up a new plot to to field, a new plot of the field to mm-hmm. whatever farm. And they ended up coming over Indian burial ground, burial ground. And uh, John Bell, the dad was like, told his workers, like, leave everything as it is, work around it. Like, we're not disturbing them. But then one of the neighbor boys heard about it and went to one of the sons and was like, oh, let's go dig up this, the Indian to see if they're buried with anything cool. And so they did, they dug it up and, and he ended up bringing a jawbone back to their house Mm -hmm. and he threw the jawbone against the wall and a tooth knocked out and fell through the cracks in the floor. And then John Bell was like, got so angry with them and told them that they had to go back and put everything back as it was or whatever. But he was like, oh my God, the tooth is still there. So then he like cut up the floor and like dug underneath the house looking for that tooth. And then the whole time, and then after he did that and couldn't find it, she started laughing at him. You old fool. I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and she also played a prank and said that then she was like, she told, um, one of the neighbors, I was, uh, um, an early immigrant to the, to the States or to America or whatever. And I brought with me a treasure and I buried it and I want Betsy to have it. And they were like, okay, well, where is the treasure? And she told them, she like described the spot that was down by the river, like where the river, like where a Creek and a river meet. And, um, he said, she's like, I want this son and his friend to go dig it up. But I also want James Johnson to be there to make sure that they don't steal any of the money. And I want all of the money to go to Betsy, which I thought was totally. And I was like, how is that not a clue that she's messing with you? Because she hates Betsy. Right. (laughs) But anyway, so they go down and she's like, it's under this giant rock. It's like a giant rock. So they, (laughs) so they spend all day cracking up this rock and trying to haul it and move it. And there's no treasure underneath. So then they start digging and they dig a giant, like six by six foot, like hole. And then they get back to the the cabin that night and they're like, we didn't find it. And she is just cracking up laughing because she's like, and she just did a play by play of all of their moves of everything that they said to the family. And everybody's cracking up laughing at them because they were such idiots to believe her. (laughs) She's like the, kooky aunt but you can't see her (laughs) so weird (laughs) then one day she told her that she was uh she told reverend gunn 
that when he asked her who she was, that she was old Kate Batts, witch. so Kate Batts was the eccentric woman of the community that some people didn't like. Some people were okay with, she was just really bizarre and weird. And she was nice to those people that she liked and really, really mean to the ones that she didn't like. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people thought that she was a witch. Of course. And so that's how she got the name Kate. So now the Bell Witch, her name is Kate. And that's who they refer. That's how they they call her. And she responds to it too. So they just start calling her Kate. After a while, (laughs) Kate had (laughs) eased up on Betsy and um, focused all of her hatred towards John Bell. And she claimed that she would be with him till his dying day. Um, so the next development, which is kind of weird, is that uh, four more entities show up. Oh, God. So you have Black Dog, Mathematics, <laughs> Psychography, and Jerusalem. <laughs> it's like the fabulous four. <laughs> so from hell kate has always had a very like genteel voice like a woman you know whatever so black dog has a more aggressive assertive motherly tone oh and this is not the black dog that would show up in the no street. this is Headless someone named black dog um this is definitely a portal to hell yes exactly yeah. uh and then so she had like a very strict female voice and then mathematics and psychography had different voices but they were more delicate feminine voices and then jerusalem sounded like a boy so it was like a little family and they would just like cause havoc and be obnoxious and just do shit right and then sometimes the black dog would come in and like admonish them for being obnoxious and then like sometimes she would just like you could what they claimed you could like hear her just thrashing jerusalem like giving them a thrashing and then she would send them away on errands but always keep one in the house to like mess with everybody. So, Are these actually different spirits or is this just Kate I, I doing think it's voices? Kate, I think it was Kate doing voices because they did not last very long. But one night they came in really drunk <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they made the house smell like whiskey. And they said oh. that they got the whiskey from John Gardner's house, one of the neighbors. And they just, they really tore things up that night. And then after that, they did their whole thing. And then one night they decided to serenade the family because they all sang. And so they sang what they said was very beautiful songs. And then after that serenade, they were gone. And then it was only Kate after that. So they just came back to party and sing. Yeah. Let's get drunk. So the, one of the neighbors, William Porter, he was like just super interested in her. So he would sit there and just like have conversations with her a lot. Right. So he got to know her, quote unquote. One night he's in bed at his house and he hears someone walking in and then he feels the covers being pulled up and um, <laughs> and like something. And it, she goes, she goes, Billy, I've come to sleep with you and keep you warm. And he replied, well, Kate, if you're going to sleep with me, you must behave yourself. And he said he felt like something like a snake crawling in under the covers and it sent shivers up his spine. But he said it kept rolling in the covers. like So the covers rolled off him and it was rolling itself in the covers to the point where it like was like a kid rolled up in in Uh the blanket like a burrito. And he was like, oh, my God, this is my chance. 
and he tried, he was going to, he picked her up and he wanted, he was going to try to burn her, throw her in the fire. Ooh. (laughs) So he picked her up and he's walking over to the, to the fire. And he, he said it got the, the bundle got so heavy, he could barely walk and it emitted such a foul odor that he could not breathe. And so he dropped it and he had to run outside to get fresh air because he couldn't breathe because it stunk so bad. And then by the time that he got back inside, it was, she was gone. Oh my gosh. Is that weird? Did they continue to have conversations after that? Or uh, was she probably, I don't know. She, I don't know. She's so weird. She called everybody's rascals. If they were like, didn't weren't perfectly good Puritan people, they were rascals. Um, so Lucy became sick with pleurisy and Kate got so upset because Lucy was her favorite. And so she sat with her day and night and she would sing to her and talk to her. And, it, but then Lucy was just like, so tired. She'd be like, Kate, I can't listen to you anymore. I can't talk to you anymore. And so she would actually be quiet for her. And so the doctor, you know, kept coming and was like, she stopped eating. And so, so Kate went on a mission. She's like, we have to find something that she'll eat. One day she, uh, Lucy's friends were over. She had two friends over keeping her company. And then Kate shows up and she's like, Lucy, hold out your hands. And so she held out her hands and then like a bunch of walnut, uh, sorry, a bunch of hazelnuts fell into what it? I wrote two different things. <laughs> so either hazelnuts or walnuts. Yeah. A bunch of nuts. Uh, yeah. A bunch of hazelnuts <laughs> fell into her hand and the friends were like, whoa, where did that come from? And they're like looking at the ceiling, like inspecting the ceiling to see if there was somewhere that it came from. And Lucy was like, well, thank you, Kate, but I can't crack these. And so Kate sat there and cracked them and would put the nuts within her arm's reach so that she could eat them. And then she did the same thing with grapes. She went and got some wild grapes down by the river. And apparently she was uh, very knowledgeable about all of the plants and wildlife of the area. And so she Mm -hmm. taught them a lot about the herbs and plants and things that they could use them for. She did a performance with the grapes too for a group of people who had come. And she dropped a giant bundle of grapes into Betsy's lap out of nowhere. But anyway, Lucy, I mean, Lucy got better. But <sighs> did they see the grapes like floating? So they did, said, the grapes appear out of nowhere. The grapes appeared out of nowhere. Oh. So it's like, it's like she, she held out her hand and then from about two feet above her hand, they just dropped. Yeah. So she's carrying something, but making it invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So like same kind of situation, their oldest son, his wife's name was Martha. And for whatever reason, Kate called her pots. They lived in a house in the community. And so they were getting ready to move to Mississippi. And so Kate came by, you know, Martha was like, took Lucy's recommendation of like, just, you know, be pleasant with her and she will like you and not mess with you. Right. So she was always very pleasant with Kate and, you know, played along with her. Mm -hmm. So she's, she's sitting there and Kate shows up and she goes, Potts, I've brought a present to keep you in remembrance of me when you go far away to your new home. Will you accept it? And Martha said, certainly Kate, I will gladly accept any present you may bring. What is it? And then all of a sudden a little package just dropped into her lap out of nowhere. And Martha was like looking around to see where it came from, but couldn't see anything. And then Kate said, I brought it pots. See what a nice pair of stockings. I want you to keep them for your burial to remember me and never wear them. 
(laughs) (laughs) So Martha opened up the package and she found some elegant black silk hose. But then she was looking at them and saw a dark splotch on one of the legs. And Kate said, that's blood. They killed a beef at Kate Batts this morning and the blood spattered, splattered on the stocking. And so when her husband, Jesse, came home, she told him all the things and he's like, what the hell? And so he went over to the Batts' house. And um, as soon as he walked in, Kate Batts was like, oh, I'm glad you're here. We killed a beef this morning and I was going to bring some to Martha, but I haven't had a chance. Like, here's some beef. And Mm -hmm. he's like, what? (laughs) Because also she was a Kate Batts was like a seamstress, too. So that's why she had stockings. So she took the stock. So she stole the stockings. Stole the stockings. Yeah. <laughs> and wrapped them. And wrapped them, apparently. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fun story. Uh, a little famous person, General Andrew Jackson, came to see her. Mm. So he had gotten wind of, of the goings on there. And so he took a whole crew of his men and they made, they traveled three hours or something. I don't remember from wherever they were and they brought stuff to camp out at night or whatever. And so they're coming up the drive to the house. And then the wagon, the covered wagon that they had brought just stops. Like it just, there is a perfectly smooth road. There was no holes, nothing wrong with the wheels. They took the wheels off to inspect it because no matter how many men were pushing from behind and the horses pulling from in front, the, the wagon would not move. And so, oh, so it wasn't the horse that stopped. I assume no, it was the horse no. that stopped. No, the, the horses were keep trying. It was the wagon that stopped. And finally, General Jackson said, by the eternal boys, it is the witch. And then a voice came from the bushes saying, all right, General, let the wagon move on. I will see you again tonight. And then the wagon started moving. And so the, <laughs> the men started like searching the bushes around and they couldn't, couldn't find anything. So wait, so was that information from the boys journal, journal? or is that from so this Andrew one, Jackson's This journal? one was from a, a, a neighbor's account. Like, cause this author also okay. got correspondence from multiple people in the community. Okay. So that night, all the men are inside the house, you know, they've eaten, they have, but they brought with them a witch hunter, I guess you would call it. (laughs) The witcher. The witcher, yeah. And this man who was like so full of himself was just telling all of his stories all night and like Kate had not shown up like and he's like she's scared of me he like had brought his horse pistol with a silver bullet in it (laughs) and he's like she's not gonna show up because i'm here and then finally general jackson leaned over to the guy next to him and he said i'll bet that fellow is an errant coward by the eternals i do wish the thing would come and i want to see him run and then soon after that what sounded like dainty footsteps came dancing across the floor. And then the same voice from the bushes spoke up and said, all right, general, I am on hand, ready for business. And then she looked at the witch slayer and said, now, Mr. Smarty pants, here I am. Shoot. And the man leveled his pistol and shot, but the gun didn't fire. And she said, try again. And he did try again. And it same result. And then she said, now it's my turn. Look out, you old coward, hypocrite, fod. I'll teach you a lesson. And then they heard, whack, 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 whack. <laughs> she just starts beating him up. And he fell out of his chair. And then he like popped up and he's like running around the house. 
And he's like, oh, and she's got him by the nose. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone is like cracking up laughing. And he, she's just like leading him around by the nose. And then the door just like flies open and he goes like flying off the stairs of the front porch and down the road. And they were all, they all got up to like watch because they thought he was going to die or something, but he just kept running. And General Jackson thought it was the funniest thing. And he wanted to stay. She goes, she returned, Kate returned laughing. And she said, Lord Jesus, how the old devil did run and beg. I bet he won't come here again with this old horse pistol to shoot me. I guess that's fun enough for tonight, General. And you can go to bed now. I will come back tomorrow and show you another rascal in this crowd. (laughs) (laughs) And so he wanted to stay. But then all his guys were like, no, we don't want to because they were afraid of them being next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they left the next day. We're coming to a close, I promise. Okay. So after a while, John Bell was kept having those, those fits of his, his facial contortions and his Mm, time mm -hmm. going stuff or whatever. And when that happened, like apparently it got worse where it's like convulsions of like muscles in his body too. And so when this would happen, he would be bedridden. And so one time in, the, in uh, October of 1820, it was really bad that he was bedridden for about six to eight days. And then he, he couldn't, <clears throat> he couldn't get in bed and Kate was harassing him. And then after a while he could get out, but then he wasn't leaving the house. And then after about a week, he wanted to walk to the pigsty with Richard Williams, um, the, the youngest son to teach him a couple of things. And then on the way there, his shoes started flying off and rich Richard would go get the shoes and put them back on in time real tight. And as soon as he put them on the, the shoes would fly off again. And they just kept doing this. And then finally they made it to the pigsty. They did what they needed to do. And then they were coming back and it started happening again where the, his shoes were flying off. And then he, John Bell sat on a log, like on the side of the road and he started convulsing really badly and like had this terrible fit. And, you know, poor Richard was like scared to death watching his dad go in convulsions, you know? And then he said they heard quote, the reviling sound of derisive songs piercing the air with terrorizing force as the demoniac shrieks died away in triumphant rejoicing. The spell passed off. And I saw the tears chase down the father's yet quivering cheeks. And then he Mm. sat, huh? What? Okay. Can you put it in layman's terms? Can you translate that? So basically she was singing, like shrieking, like singing really loudly, like terrible songs. And then as she was finishing her singing, his convulsions were stopping. And and then he could see like tears going down his dad's face. Mm -hmm. And so his dad sat up and was like, turned to his son. He's like, son, I think this is it. I think this is the beginning of the end for me. And then he stood up and he turned skyward and just started praying. But then after that, so he prayed really hard. Richard said harder than he'd ever seen him pray before. And then they, they went back to the house and John Bell went straight to bed and he didn't get out of bed again. And he had just reconciled himself to his fate and his friends and family tended to him for several weeks. And then on December 19th, 1820, he didn't wake up at his usual hour. And so the family went around their business, like letting him sleep. But then after a while, Lucy was like, this isn't, this isn't right. So they had tried to wake him up, but then he, he wouldn't wake up. 
And so one of their sons, Drew, went to the cabinet to get his medicine, but the medicine was gone and in the in its place was a vial of smoky black liquid. So they called the doctor in and asked him about where the medicine was. And then Kate showed up and they asked her it, about the medicine. And she said she took his medicine and she made him drink that black liquid that was in the uh, in the cabinet. She said, it's useless for you to try to relieve old Jack. I've got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. And so the doctor was like, let's test this liquid on something. And so they caught a cat and gave it some. And the cat jumped and whirled over a few times, stretched out, kicked and died very quickly. And so John Bell never woke up. And the morning of December 20th, 1820, he died. And Kate was around when it happened. And she delighted in exultations and derisive songs. So Hmm. after his death, it says her hatred abated greatly. So like she was still, she hung around after his death until about the spring of 1821. So, you know, four months ish, four or five more months she was around, but it showing up less often. And then when she finally left, she told old Luce, she gave her an affectionate farewell. And she said that she would be gone for seven years, but then would return to see them and then visit everyone in the neighborhood. Fast forward seven years, 1828, Lucy Williams, who was also Richard, (laughs) and Joel were the only ones left in the house. And she showed up again just in the same fashion that she originally showed up in 1818 by the sounding of the scratching and the rats gnawing on the bedpost and, and pulling the covers off of them. And so all three of them were like, okay, this is Kate, but they decided to not engage at all. Because they were like, if we don't engage, she'll probably go away. And after two weeks, she was gone. Mm. And that was it. That sounds exhausting. I know. Sorry it was so long, but it's just a lot. Yeah. No, that's all right. No, I mean, like dealing with that sounds exhausting. Yeah. I mean, you can't sleep. She wouldn't let you sleep. I don't understand how How they functioned. (laughs) It, It seems like maybe after a while... She, I mean, I feel like once you have a conversation with her, she didn't care. She liked fucking with people. She really did. Like but at some point, so weird. Yeah, I mean, obviously they slept some, but it was not like ever a full night's good sleep. Yeah, now I you mean, see... an entire town yeah. was involved in this. Yeah, like so many witnesses. When I was looking at weird stuff in Tennessee, there is a Bell Witch Cave. Was that mm. on their well, we'll have to look it up. On yeah. Their property or something. I assume she was in a cave because I'm going of that, to but I didn't see this summer. I wonder if it's close to where I'm going. Didn't look into it because I didn't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But yeah, it just does seem like that awful house guest from a terrible movie, you know? <laughs> the awful oh house God, guest yeah. that you just can't get rid of that talks the whole time, creates chaos. And so the book you read was from 1840. Well, I can't remember if the or 60 or whatever. I think but 1800s. Uh, yeah, the 1800s. I, I want to say it was the late 1800s. I want to say the correspondence happened in the 1860s mm-hmm. between John Bell's grandson and the author. Was the author from there? Is that how he knew? He was. I think from. I think he was from a neighboring town. Um, and had covered the story before and wanted more information, but they, he wasn't going to give it to him yet. Yeah. Okay. 
I wonder if the Richard had other experiences later in life too. It didn't seem like, I mean, I feel like they might, might've said something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like any of them had any other issues after that. I mean, you wonder how that, like, <laughs> when he was like of marrying age, learning about each other's family. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Maybe he, I wonder if he did marry because a lot of them married people that were already in that community. Right. So they knew. But since he was the youngest, I don't know. I don't know who he married. I mean, I think they told it. Yeah. They do a whole like family history. They do all he's all kinds of stuff. I feel like I read a lot of stuff that was not pertinent at right. all. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes into like a whole chapter on like um slaves accounts of stories Mm, um it was really 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 offensive at the very beginning of the chapter about how people don't believe the things that they say because they exaggerate yeah it was like i mean i have to imagine obscenely offensive obviously it's late 1800s but like so i was like i'm just not gonna include any of this (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah, that sounds awful, but also entertaining. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. She just seems like a really interesting person. But also a really annoying really person. Annoying. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, mine's going to feel very short in comparison. <laughs> well, good, because this episode could be very long if it wasn't. Okay, so Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is near... Knoxville, mm-hmm. and it housed the secret city for the Manhattan Project. So the Manhattan Project, in case you don't know, was the secret project to build the atom bombs mm-hmm. for World War II. Yeah. Started in New York, Manhattan yeah. Project, uh, originally headquartered in D.C. Then once it became like a viable thing, because of the time crunch, they needed a whole slew of people to work on it and all kinds of factories and things <laughs> to make this work. Yeah. Actually, we mentioned the Manhattan Project last season in the episode about neutrinos. Neutrinos. Yes. Is one of the guys, one of the, those scientists worked, worked on, on the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos, which is one of the other locations. So 1942, the U.S. government bought land in three different locations, Los Alamos, New Mexico, Washington, Hanford, Washington, and then Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, because it was kind of in a valley and they could control the traffic. land, the traffic, yeah. the land around it. And if anything were to happen or to go wrong, it was com- kind of in a controlled, a controlled place. So it was 60,000 acres of land that they bought. They displaced about, it was farmland, but there were some families there. So they displaced about 3000 people. Um, and was basically like, you have maybe 30 days to leave and here's a pittance of money and be off with you. Weird. (laughs) Imminent domain. That's how that works. They can do whatever they want. Yep. And so then they had to build a city to house all these workers that were going to come here to help create this atom bomb. They were originally thinking it would be 13,000 people and ended up being 75,000 people. Oh, Jesus. Within two years or something. Because it was wartime, there weren't a lot of resources. So they basically 
built very quick housing out of asbestos and concrete. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so there were asbestos and concrete panel houses uh, that they could quickly erect. And they, they were called alphabet houses because it was basically like you had model A that was a one bedroom. Right. Model B was a two bedroom. Right. Model C. So they were called alphabet houses. And they just threw them up really mm -hmm. quickly. Meanwhile, elsewhere, they were making prefab houses that then they could just ship in and they were turning over houses like 40 in a day kind of what? thing, just like turning keys over, like, you know, coming, coming in, just basically putting them together like a erector set. Oh my <laughs> God. Turning over keys because there were that many people coming in that quickly. Holy crap. Yeah. So um, people were bringing their families in? Yeah. So families... Um, a lot of single women were coming as well. But yes, a lot of families. So it was an entire community. So they built the housing, they built theaters, schools, churches, um, one of the biggest spring-fed pools that's mm. still in existence um, is there. So it became a, a community very quickly, but it was also gated with guard towers because it was a secret community. I right. mean, the, like people knew it existed, but... The secret part was that nobody actually knew what, what was, was going, going on. on. Yeah, even the people that worked there didn't necessarily know what was going on. They knew they had a job, a specific task they needed to do, but they had no idea what the ultimate goal yeah. was. And so there would even be billboards and posters all around, like shh, you know, oh, weird. <laughs> you know, don't tell any secrets. So they were allowed to leave because I did see something that they would go to Knoxville. Of course, the Knoxville people hated them because. Right. Um, because they had these special jobs, they actually had a lot more rations and money than everyone uh, else in the yeah. in the state. So they didn't like them very much. But so they were allowed to go out, but I think it was kind of limited, and it was definitely a all a very hush hush situation. Obviously, on top of the community that was built very quickly, they also needed to do the facilities, the production facilities. So there were four different facilities built: the Y two area which was home of the electromagnetic plant. It was the one that bit, that actually created the plutonium that was needed for Little Boy. So the two bombs that were created were Fat Man and Little Boy. And the plutonium was that they were creating at this location was for Little Boy. Then there was the X-10 area, which was the basically the plutonium pile. That's where they put all the plutonium that then they would enrich. And then... The K-25 site was the gaseous diffusion plant and then another thermal diffusion plant. I don't know the process yeah. <laughs> that everything goes through. So there are plants that are doing things to create this plutonium that then they were using to create the bombs. So the bombs themselves weren't necessarily being made here because they had the other two sites. So like Los Alamos is where they would put them together and test them. Okay. And then I don't really know what was happening in the Washington spot and then they actually also had it wasn't a site but they had um labs in chicago and stuff that were doing things as well i mean the whole project employed 160,000 people something like that but if there were 75,000 in this one location you some of the workers were grocery store workers yeah they had a, a hospital um yeah, right. with nurses. nurses and all that all that kind of stuff but there was a group of 10,000 women called the calatron girls and they were the ones that at the Y, what was it, Y12 site, 
yeah, Y12 site, the electromagnetic site. So they were the ones that were actually separating. So they were taking the plutonium isotope and they're separating a piece out of it. And that piece that comes out is the radioactive piece that becomes the fuel. Okay. So they were basically running the machines that were doing that. So there's these huge racetracks of pipes and stuff that do all kinds of who knows what. Yeah. And actually the girls didn't know what either. So basically they were just being trained to turn knobs right. and flip switches. Yeah. And, and do that no idea and have no doing. idea what it was that they were doing that for or what it was doing or anything. Well, they actually said the reason why it was good was was partially because they were they they were kind of lighter on their touch so they were better at doing the soft touch dials and, uh -huh. and things like that. But also because they didn't know what they were doing, if something started going wrong, they would just immediately tell a superior mm -hmm. versus a scientist would be like, oh, oh why is this? this? I can figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> why is this happening? <laughs> because that's what they would do elsewhere. Yeah. And they um, they actually found that these women were far more efficient at it because they weren't doing that. Yeah. It was purely a, this dial should be here. This dial should be there. If things go wrong, do this. And then if something really goes wrong, just let your superior know yeah. and they'll fix it. You know, uh, So they were actually far more efficient. At, um, at what they were doing. But that's, I mean, there was very little, so it's a national park now. Um, what's interesting about the national park is that it, even though it's three locations across three different states, it's considered one national park. Oh, weird. Um, and the website's not terribly great about the information. No national park websites are good. I know. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. And I did find another one that explained had more of this kind of construction information part on it, but then it went into all the individual um, facilities that... So is it still... Ex like, so, are the buildings and everything still there? Yeah. So the city still exists. Not the asbestos right, houses, right. let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> they're all um, but they're yes, like they're, houses now. <laughs> right. But yes, yeah, some of the facilities still exist. You can tour it because it's all part of a park. The city itself still exists. Obviously, without the gated community, there's still some of the old uh, guard towers. And there actually are still facilities that are continue to do scientific research on energy and, and things like that. So there's still a strong uh, scientific community there. What is the name of the town again? Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Because it's a park, you can visit any of the three locations, I believe. Yeah, you know, there's just like it barely mentions about, um, you know, there were African American workers on site as well. Obviously, they had separate facilities and were, you know, subjected to racism all the time. Yeah, sure. There were some African American scientists. So sometimes they were in the labs. Uh, they were definitely in the labs in Chicago. Mm -hmm. There were some, many women, obviously, besides the Calatron girls, many women that helped out with the, with the project as well, scientists or otherwise. And then there's information, actually so cursory information about the effects of the bomb or the, the effects of when they were testing it in New Mexico, the downwind effects. Yeah. And because it was so secret, they couldn't warn anyone. They Ugh. couldn't tell anyone what was wrong with them. Yeah. But everyone downwind was basically Game. eating and Game. drinking and breathing radioactive, radioactive materials Ugh. for you know, a year or so. It was amazing how quickly this all happened because this town started in 1942. Obviously, the Manhattan Project was a couple of years, started a couple of years before that. But the Hiroshima, which is what little boy... Um, was dropped on 
1945. So the process was relatively quick as far as scientific exploration goes, I think. The site is also a little bit weird in its wording in that sometimes it makes it sound very proud of the work, <sighs> and other times it very much acknowledges the issues and problems behind it. Yeah. But I think, and then there's also a, wait, let me go to this link. Yeah, there's an Atomic Heritage Foundation. What does that even mean? <laughs> Basically, it wants to preserve the information around the Manhattan Project and everything that went into it and everything that happened around it. So I think I think where the where the kind of the parts that sound proud, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, it's kind of because because of what was done, we it, it led to a lot of other things that have been very helpful in the scientific right. community and and other things. It just so happened that it was for a terrible reason. I mean, yeah. it did it did in the war, but <laughs> But it's on also the Pacific, like on the Pacific front, at least. Maybe it's more of the. Uh, but also, it was, it's the proud of how expeditious the entire process of setting up this communities and, and towns and whatever. Yeah. For one purpose mm. is I don't I mean it really makes me think of those kind of movies where it's like alternative history. Yeah. Where but then it's like something like the, creepy happens where you're the White in this, Tower. When what is it? Yeah, go ahead. Where it's like you're in a one of the these government communities in the 40s, and mm -hmm. like, and they're really like keeping you as prisoners, right? You know, <laughs> like something like that. Like it's just that uh, it creeps me out. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did have things like that. They had the um the Japanese. What did they call them? They didn't call them concentration camps. Internment internment camps. camps. Yeah. Because they weren't technically under arrest, but they were. Yeah, but, but they, they had like communities just really terrible. Yeah, but that was like shanty town kind of things. It wasn't like this, whereas like right. you seem well, like people are walking around like I live in this perfect little world and I don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. In the white section, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in the African American section, they had basically shacks. Yeah, I just found it very interesting. It's not not a lot of information, but I I found it interesting because of that too. It was a secret town yeah. that just popped up practically overnight and Did they say how like the the beginning of the building process to the end of the building process like what time frame that was not necessarily because i think it was just constantly happening it was and constantly even growing. even on the facility side even though they had to get that up and running quickly then they would they were doing additions and modifications the whole time as well right. as they got further along they would modify it or it made it make additions to be able to do more so did you find out how when it stopped being used for what it's being used for what it was built for so basically they everything said once the bomb was dropped was kind of everyone's like everyone stopped working weird and then what they, they kind of kind of stopped caring i don't know it's like did the people like just move away or did they stay there and then it's like what do you do for a job I mean, there were still, because it was a community, there was still acting stuff. And maybe it depended on what your job was. Yeah. But like for but all I the don't, scientists, if I they're like, all right, if, we're good, you guys. Right. I don't know if they continued. I mean, they they basically said that the, the plutonium they had created was about, after all that time, was like 140 pounds, which was all they needed for little boy. And then, and that was it. So it made it, and then everything, every account that I saw was kind of like, well, once they dropped the bomb 
that was it. But I have to imagine that some of the facilities were still going doing something or at some level for scientific purposes. Well, but you would also think that know. like, if they've gotten this science, the government is too fucking greedy to stop making something that is that destructive. Right. You know what I mean? I would feel like, I feel like the government would have kept making it for the next time. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't find anything about it, about what, like the, like when I mean, it was, it was yeah, hard to find crazy the information. I would be really interesting to find someone who lived there. So there are some videos of people's accounts and I think they actually have some in the you know, national archives and stuff. There might be, I can look it up, but there are some videos of some people sharing their accounts and stuff. And there, one of the quotes of this, one of these women was once they found out that the bomb had dropped and what the devastation was, she was kind of like, you know, she felt horrible that she had been part of it. Yeah. She, did she not know? No, no, none of them <sighs> so knew. Stupid. But she, you know, they realized it once it was done in the war, you know, it stopped the war and they were, you know, patting themselves on the back kind of thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that she figured it out that that's what they had been part of. And she felt horrible for being part of it. But at the same time, she's like, but it was war and you kind of, you did what you had Everybody, to do. Everyone yeah. just, you know, was just part of the war effort. So we did what we were told. Right. Interesting. That whole concept is just like so creepy to me. The plant, the, like those kind of communities mm -hmm. where it's like, Something nefarious is going on, but people Stepford are lives. oblivious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something's wrong if it's too perfect. Oh, did you hear that? I did. Oh, that was weird. We just had a, a ghost in our machine. A ghost in the machine. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's all I got. Okay. I think. Yeah. Well, that's good because I'm like really tired and my head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We need to make sure we do these earlier. Yes, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. See you next time. If you have anything cool, creepy, or scientific to share with us, you can email us at lastlambstandingpodcast at gmail.com. Please follow us on Instagram at lastlambstandingpodcast. And a special thank you to Adam Frischertz for our theme song. Thanks for listening.